Good evening, and you're very welcome back to another episode of the Women's National League podcast here on FinalWhistle.ie. I'm, I'm Bethany Early, and for the next maybe hour or so, we're going to be chatting all things women's football. It's getting so exciting. Join me once again, Aaron Clark of the WNL Show. Aaron, um, it's seven days closer to the World Cup. I'm going to get it out of the way so early in this week's show, just so we get the uh, all of that over and done with. Wait and you see the social media in the next four days, Brefany, when I'm posting pictures going through Dublin Airport, going through Dubai Airport, I'll make sure make sure to send them all to you as well, just to keep you yeah. keep you well and truly occupied. But yeah, it's another week closer, eight days until the opening game in Sydney. The buzz is the buzz is great. The players are gone, no injury concerns at the minute. The final twenty three is in, and we're, we're ready to go. But like on on the other side, there's some some still some great domestic action. The last couple of weeks have been great domestically. Women's football's on a on the hot on a high at the minute. Um everything everything's looking good at the minute. I'm really excited. Yeah, it's been a, a good couple of weeks. And I think the Avenue Sports Cup has really caught the imagination domestically as well, because we didn't really know what to expect out of it because it had the potential to be something absolutely phenomenal, but it also had the potential to just become a kind of a reserve competition that nobody really cared about. But I think we've seen some really top-notch performances, both individually and collectively from teams throughout this. And and now kind of the appetite is fairly whetted for the final in, in 10 days' time. To be honest with you, and I said this before the, the competition started, I had a lot of fear about it. I thought certain teams would take it serious. I thought the likes of the likes of a Galway, the likes of a Cork, I thought they would take it serious. I, I was a little bit more concerned about some of the maybe how would you say more fancy teams in in the leagues. But like the fact that the teams up north have been playing midweek games as well to facilitate the competition, and they've still gone and given it a, a mass a massive tussle. Like it's been it's been great. A lot of managers have learned an awful lot about players. It's probably gave some managers and a player or two that they may be they may be snooping around trying to see if they can get a sign or two in the in the window as well because of the the competition. But it's been it's been great. I think for everyone it, it's worked out very well. It's good to see on an FAI point of view the fact that they've been able to get some agreements to get some of the games that have been played up in up in the northern up in Northern Ireland streamed on LOI TV as well. I think that's been a positive. This the start we were sort of a little bit concerned that it was only going to be games down south that would be streamed. So. It's been great. Everything's been good. The, the competition's been good. We've seen some some top class games. We've seen some, I just say, some top class brilliant performances. And it's fair to say, from from everything I've seen, we see two teams in the final who who just deserve to be, to be there. I think you you look at the teams who went out in the semi finals. I think Cork are obviously being being very good. Wexford Utes, it's probably been a, a helpful competition for them for a bit of resurgence as well. But the two finalists in Cliftonville and Galway have have been really setting setting a light and. You know, being very good to watch in, in the competition, and it's it's made it enjoyable. The only thing is, the day to the final sort of pushed back a week. Maybe it's not the worst of things either to give a little bit of a, a little bit of a gap venue for the final. I think is actually quite a good one. I was I was sort of concerned it was either going to be up in somewhere up in Belfast or else it was going to potentially going to be in Dublin. The, the choices like are over for me. Is it? It's a good option. It gives both both teams have to travel, but it, it's an equal enough venue. And yeah, it's really caught the eye, and I'm, I'm glad it has Breffney and. I don't think it'll be here next year in the same format, but I do definitely think we'll have the competition again next year. Yeah, it's an exciting venue. Yeah, for myself, I'm not giving out about it either. It's just down the road for me. But um, I suppose someone who can give us a better insight into what the teams are thinking about that is one of the managers of the teams involved. And we're delighted to be joined uh, by Phil Trill, the Galway United manager. In their maiden, I suppose it's inaugural competition, but it's their inaugural season in women's senior football as Galway United and uh, Phil you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks gents, uh, delighted to be on, thanks for having me. 
you're more than welcome. And I suppose uh, the showgrounds, as Aaron mentioned, is the venue for the game on Sunday week. It's a fairly auspicious uh, venue. It's where we first met, of course, back in the women's under 17 days. I knew you remembered that. You've been thinking about it all day. I know. <laughs> uh, it's been, it's one of those places where um, it, it has that kind of small, but, but nicely laid out format. It's, it feels like a real football stadium with, with crowds on three sides. And it's, it's just got the potential to be really, really big for what could be a really big, big night for, for your club. Would you expect a big turnout in the game? Yeah, well, I can't say too much nice about Sligo now, I suppose, being the goal United manager. But, um, so look, the being... venue, not the, not the club, <laughs> if that makes sense. That makes easier. Uh, look, the, the venue is incredible. Um, and I have to say, like, anytime we have gone to Sligo, people have been very, very warm to us and very friendly. And they do come out and support their women's soccer team. Uh, quite well, so I'd be expecting a lot of those people to come out regularly in support Sligo to come out supporters as well. From a club's perspective, we're um, putting in supporters buses, and we're really getting behind this um, to try and get behind this final. And uh, really, I suppose it's not that far up the road; it's quite an easy journey now. Um, so we're we're really excited for it. Uh, again, the pitch itself is fantastic, and uh, the facility and access as well is is really top class. So. Um, if I could have picked a location by Raymond DC Park, we could have been happy with this one, I'd say. I, I, I know we want, we're going to spend a good bit of time on the likes of the final, but Phil, you just mentioned supporters buses. Club have run many of them this year. We don't see that often in the women's game. We've seen buses going to different parts of the country. It must be nice when you see that sort of, you know, the fans wanting the bus, that the, 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 the for them, the buses, the bus to be put on, plus the club actually putting the appetite to put that on. That must be, especially as a manager in this league, it must be good. I tell you, the strangest thing for us, being really honest, was the first day at the end of the season where we had to go and applaud our fans. Because usually, you know, it's, it's it's people you know or or people who are family members of the players or, or anything like that. And um, we had some proper diehard go, you know, you had fans with ba- banners, drums, singing songs and stuff. And you know, going and applaud them took a bit, a bit of a while to get used to. It. But uh, we take we take great joy in that. Um, you know, it is a one club mentality, and and people are coming out to support Go United and. Uh, I suppose that was part of, of, of Go United setting up a women's team was to show that, you know, and give the fans the opportunity to come and support um, both sides of the club. And look, it's, 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 it's a really good time, obviously, as well this year. Um, I know you've mentioned about the World Cup already, um, but it's a really good time and it's a really good time to, to, to finish the competition. Um, so we're expecting a big crowd. We're expecting a big crowd from Galway. And again, um, as I've said before, it, it, it's a good chance to show that Galway is actually united and there's a lot of people there who show up. Well, well, let's go back a few months, maybe seven or eight months or more to the end of last season. And we saw kind of the writing on the wall, maybe a little bit for, for Galway WFC in terms of maybe the scalability of that project. Uh, I know there was trouble with uh, the former CEO, Ruth Fahey. That didn't work out for, I suppose, financial reasons as much as anything else. And then the club were struggling just to pay the bills uh, in a very public statement last season. And Galway United and themselves got together and they came up with this format. Talk to us, I suppose, as someone who was involved in, in Galway Women's FC yourself for five or six seasons um, about that process from someone who was within it. Because we all kind of have our own opinions about how it went and it's all been very positive. But but from your point of view, what was it like being part of that and, and watching that journey to to that one United club? Uh, I suppose ju- just just on that, Ruth Fahey, Ruth was exceptional when she was in. Um, had really good ideas and visions and has now gone on to Colorado, I believe, and, and, and executing them there. But um, I suppose it was incredibly difficult. Um, as part of the management staff, we, you know, we had found out halfway through the season that it wasn't going to be feasible. 
uh, for this to attend. And then there was kind of, I suppose, a period of uncertainty and conversations that would have gone far above my head uh, in terms of structural conversations with both board members of Go United and Go WFC. And I think that did lead to an awful lot of uncertainty and it led to an awful lot of players uh, looking elsewhere. You know, um, it's widely noted that some of our players have played last season, but Go WFC didn't make the jump to Go United. Um, and it was incredibly difficult. And uh, look, for, for everybody, it was really difficult coming in from even myself with some of the younger players at the time. You know, you invest so much time in your life and you wonder, you know, is this going to be an opportunity next year or, you know, is that the end of it? Um, and when we, when we left the dressing room on the last day last season, uh, being really honest, uh, we were burnt out. Uh, we were completely exhausted. Um, Alan was fantastic. Uh, he helped me uh, as a manager and a coach to learn. But uh, it was an incredibly difficult period of time. Um, and also for players, that uncertainty. Uh, and then, of course, you have loads of clubs getting on to you. And obviously, always the easiest place to commute from. Um, so it was incredibly difficult for them at the time and us. But thankfully, uh, thankfully, Go United really well and um, look we I think being really honest I think we've exceeded a lot of people's expectations at the start um, and you know it's moved things forward it's moved things forward really really quickly absolutely I think Aaron's just going to turn away the, the boy races outside the window there but in terms of the uh, the actual I suppose the journey for your role then from assistant manager last year with Galway WFC into the, the manager's chair this year because there was all sorts of rumours whether it was Don O'Reardon coming back from Treaty or maybe Billy Cleary coming back out having done some good work in the in the college there was talk about Alan Murphy getting moving seamlessly into the role uh, and you came out not as a surprise to anyone in the know but a surprise maybe to those who were looking from the outside in without much knowledge of, of the women's game in the county um, obviously the board have improved right with their appointment in, in terms of the results you've had this year qualification for the final and stuff but but what was that journey like for you? When did you know you were in the running for the job? When did you know you had it? Like, what was happening behind the scenes? Um, to be fair, just on the, th the three other uh, gentlemen you mentioned, like, all have fantastic uh, CVs and all have done really, really well, uh, both in the men's game and the women's game, you know? Um, but I suppose for, for me, it was an application process. It was it was applied online and, and I just followed the procedure and then, um, like everything, I suppose, you want to hear back yesterday about something you've applied for today. Um, and especially, like, this has been my life for the past four or five years. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with my partner seven years, and we've never gone somewhere sunny. <laughs> um, so, you know, it has been everything. And it was, it was a good period because the time between the application, let's say the interview, gave me a lot of time to think and reflect on, uh, you know, what I wanted Go United to be. And, and what my vision was in terms of playing style um, and refine that and really, I suppose, look around and recruit people um, within mind that, that would, would fill and help uh, develop this philosophy and push it on even further. So it was, I think it was December. I think uh, I think we hit the ground running and uh, I'll be really, really honest, I did not sleep a wink that night. Um, I didn't sleep a wink after the job. conversation. Yeah, when I got the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I got the job, I didn't sleep a wink. I kind of thought, oh, what is this? This is a monster. Um, because, again, all due respect, Goy WFC was fantastic. But with Goy United, you're bringing the history of the whole club. Uh, and you're bringing the history that's come from Goy Rovers there as well. And you have the incredible opportunity to create new history uh, by having a women's women's team. So, 
yeah, the, the first night was rough. And uh, then I was so tired by the amount of work I was doing that I was sleeping like a baby, you know. Talk to us a little bit about, because when you apply for this job, how much did you think your previous experiences in terms of what you've done with the underage structures, bringing the under the success underage, how much did you think they'd read into it? Because obviously the one thing you need in a women's game is you need a, someone who's not just experienced at the, at the top level, but also someone who can bring the next generation through. Yeah, like so, so our academy is incredibly important, um, probably because the, the, the player pool isn't there yet and the market isn't there. To just go out and buy a player or, or transfer, you know. I think we've seen our first loan deal this week um, in, in in the league. Um, so so, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I didn't know what way uh, the board were going to look at it because it was again an entity. I I had been part of previously by coaching in the boys setup, um, but it was something that I was incredibly passionate about, and I, and I knew myself that either I, it was going to work out and I was going to get the job, or I was going to take some time off. And reflect and really make sure that I'm sounding myself around good people and learning and constantly developing and um, this was this was the place I wanted to be when, when we started in 2017 even with the COE the FAI with you really young young players are now playing the league um, we've a view we've a view and we've a vision and um, it, it might be to hear a, a certain anthem in Terryland Park at some stage in Amy DC Park but uh, we, we, we want to really, really push this on. In terms of, I suppose, we, we talked about the World Cup, and I'm, I know we're jumping around here a little bit, but the World Cup, when we're looking at Galway players like Nee Fahey, who would have lined out for Galway pre-WNL, pre-LOI um, women, um, she would have, I think, I, I'm almost certain she was involved with that team that won the won the FAI Cup back in the mid noughties as well. I think you're yeah. wrong in saying, but it's like 07 or 08 maybe. Um, and... And even the likes of Heather Payne, who might necessarily play with Galway and either or Galway WFC, but is from Ballinasloe, uh, from the region. Now both of them lining out, and apologies if I've missed somebody, but them lining out now as a with an international team at a World Cup. Girls can really see that uh, progression now, no matter what junior club they're with in Galway, to see, okay, well, I play for my local club, and then I might go to Emerging Talent, I might go to Galway United. And Ireland is a real prospect for a girl like me from this part of the world. How important is it for you to be part of that journey for a player from literally from grassroots to green shirts to, to Robert Connick rugby phrase? <laughs> yeah, um, look, it, it's incredible. And I think, to be fair, our club honoured the two ladies um, by getting them into Amidisi Park for, for the Shelburne game and respecting them. Even though they had never officially wore a goal United jersey, they left the ground with one each. Um, because I think it's so important to, to show that visibility for young ladies that, um, you know, these people can do that and, you know, they forge really difficult pathways and hopefully the pathways and structures are in place now could help that happen sooner. Um, in terms of some of the players we have within our squad, um, it baffles me, being, being really honest, it baffles me how their journey start, stops at under 19 international level. They're incredible players um, and they need to be given that, I suppose, visibility first of all, but also the opportunity to show how good they are um, because they're, they're exceptional. I, I keep saying it every week. There's there's some amazing kids. And again, I suppose part of it is is, is, is trusting in, in the systems and the clubs that are bringing and producing players um, to come to our level and, and keeping an eye on, what, on what's going on there. And I have to say the clubs, the local schoolgirl clubs around Galway are really on the ball um, and, and, and even going into the centre of excellence and, and, and the representative teams. They're really on the ball and there's players there that we'll have identified, being honest, as young as nine and ten, um, 
that we go, okay, well, you're incredibly high potential and we want to make sure that this pathway helps you. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's amazing that they're going to turn on the TV in, in, in a couple of weeks and they're going to see someone from uh, Killannan. You know, they're going to see someone from, uh, you know, Banlasloe and Killannan. There, there's definitely something good in the water there with Trace Canevi and Anafahi coming from there as well. So, um, yeah, look, it, it's, it's really positive. It's really inspiring. Um, I just will constantly fight the corner that, you know, people need to be watching our games and they need to be looking at the quality of players we have. We have players in our squad right now that have the potential to be senior international footballers. They just need a chance. I, I, I do want to pick up on something, but I think, I think I'll do it now rather than later, just because as Phil said, it was something I actually wanted to ask the question of. It's a two-pronged question for you, and Brefney, I'd like your opinion on it as well. A, you talked about finishing an under 19s football. For me, I think the fact that Ireland doesn't have an under 23s team is absolutely criminal. I think it's it's one of the reasons why we're we're losing so many players to other sports, to other other entities, because that opportunity there, players they see they don't see a progression if you don't get into senior at such a young age, bar the one or two. Secondly, is that something you'd like to see as a legacy from the World Cup Phil? And also there's a lot of talk now about maybe bringing in something as young as an under 15 women's national league, women's national league age bracket. Would you be in favour of something like that as a legacy to help grow even further to grow the player pill? Can we bring in both? <laughs> I, I would prefer both. Well, I'm um, actually, oh, sorry. Go on, Phil. Apologies. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. No, no, no. You're the guest. You're the guest. Um, yeah, like, I suppose for years I would have thought about. Um, the 15s and, and the importance of that. I, I suppose the bigger call for me is the international stage post-19s. That's the, that's, that's the bigger call because these ladies are playing in the, week, in the league week in, week out. That's where I'm kind of focused right now, you know. Um, I think the colleges does an incredible job. Um, and I have to say both ATU Galway and University of Galway have been brilliant here with us. Uh, and they like the, the standard of squad that's been able to be put out this year by Billy is, is exceptional. It's, it's, it's really high quality. Um, and I think they do a really good job right now of bridging the gap, but they need more supports and more structures as well. And, you know, the return of the, the university international team, you know, like, that's important as well because that might help that gap and that might help allow these players uh, to continue to wear a green jersey. Um, and in the 15 side as well, yeah, I, I definitely think it's something that we need to look towards, but I also think that the structures and supports need to be solidified before we just kind of go gung-ho. And we also have to be aware, and there needs to be more done by structures and supports in terms of fully supporting these young children. So not just giving them a football education, but giving them a proper education uh, and, and looking after them nutritionally and looking after them physically. And it, it can't just be show up for two sessions a week and you play in the 15s National League. It has to be more. Yeah, I, I would go so far as to say I don't think the issue necessarily is is uh, the international team. I think for a load of reasons, we don't have an under-23 international team. I think, first of all, it's traditionally associated with with the um, Olympic grade. And for territorial and geopolitical reasons, we can't field a team in the Olympics. So uh, on the men's side, that's never happened. So it's probably a reason why it doesn't happen on the women's as well within the FAI structures. Uh, I also don't know what purpose it serves. I think a stronger national league and the resources that go into an international under-23 team put into the national league and actually supporting clubs would probably give more players a better competitive 
um, regular input in a, on a daily basis or a weekly basis than ad hoc international games or dragging people to Dublin on a Wednesday night for for training. Um, I just think a lot of that has a lot of questions to a- answer for. For me, I think one of the most exciting things I've seen happen in the last um, couple of weeks, even locally here in the Northwest, and I, I joked about being close to Sligo for the final, I can't wait for, uh, for Sunday week, but... Um, the Sligo Leitrim League launched uh, a junior. There's never been junior women's football in Sligo Leitrim. It's been there's there's no there's no avenue for any girl past the age of eighteen or nineteen if she doesn't make the Sligo Rovers team, she's out of football. End of story. Go enjoy Gaelic. There's barely any camogie around these parts as well. So it's really a one one trick pony for anybody over the age of eighteen or nineteen in the in the northwest. They put out a call for clubs for a league starting this winter. They got twelve teams out of about seventeen or eighteen teams in the in the overall men's competition there were there more than half of the teams in probably closer to two-thirds of the teams in that's where the big draw has to be from this world cup is getting more leagues structures clubs in place all over the country so that a girl from west westport doesn't have to go to galway doesn't have to go to sligo to play a match she can play in her local town in a local league and if she's good enough then she goes through the motions and up through the grades i think that's the exciting thing that comes out of this is more girls playing at grassroots level we put more in the top of the funnel, we're going to get better quality out. And you only have to look at the quality of players coming out of the under-17 grade. And Phil, I know you've been involved in this um, hugely since the start of the whole uh, women's football um, under-17 grade in 20, 2018. You were the manager of Galway United. You won that league the first year. We won't talk about how the post saved you in the last game of the season, but that's a different story. Um, or the last game of the regular season, at least. Uh, I still haven't got that chip off my shoulder. But it's it's one of those things where you look at um, the, st- the the increase in the quality of those girls you mentioned, the Anafahis, Trace Knevi, they both played in that grade. Um, them versus the girls five years older than them, there's a huge gap in technical ability. Okay, They mightn't quite have the strength in some places, but they've got the technical ability down. The girls coming five years behind them are even better. And the girls, in, it's scary how good some of these girls that's 15, 16, 17s, 18s are compared to maybe when I was coaching properly 15 years ago. The technical ability, as good as those girls were back then, um, I don't think some of those girls will get a look in now. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, I, I think, I think that's that's that's. Yeah, I, I do think you've a fair point. Uh, in in some instances, in terms of the support and the coaching support that's been put in to the younger ages, um, and it, it would be, it, it would be, I suppose, I couldn't see it going the opposite way. Like if if the national league came in and we produced poorer players. We'd have severe questions if the National League underage came in and we produced poor players. We'd have severe questions about the quality of people working within the game. And I have to say, like in in our in our club, in in, in the underage, and in, in many other clubs that I've been fortunate enough to um, to converse with, like the quality of coaches that we're getting in is really really high. Um, and like as you said, the quality of players we're producing is really really high. And you just have to look then as to how that feeds in. The games are far more competitive. There's no, there, there shouldn't really be any like 13, 14 nils that there were in the first year. Um, and there's more of an even balance pool put, put about it. And, and, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. 100%. The good thing for me, the biggest thing now is, is that like, I know you're talking a lot about underage football, but when you're seeing players now, younger players willing to go to other national league clubs to play football. I think that's the tide as well starting to turn because for a long time, players were just happy to sit at clubs because their friends were there and things like that. I think we're starting to gradually break that mould. It's still going to take a bit of time. But like you look at, from a Galway point of view, like you just look at when they beat P-Mount a couple of years ago, Galway WFC, 
you look at the players who played that day, they had another 19 final the next day, and they went out. They went out and the, the, the night came out the league title, where it probably was one of their performances of the year. And like, you just even look at that sort of squad, the likes of your Abby Callanans. For me, I think last year with the likes of Edgy, I know she was doing her, the, the likes of her leaving cert, it was one of the one of the rising tides of the player. And like, I think for you, Phil, having watched players like that, what's it like when you watch the youngsters from when you first were coaching the 17s a couple of years ago to seeing so many of them playing senior football? Um, it's a great sense of pride, uh, being honest, because it means that we helped in, in 1%, it might only be 1%, but at least being there, it helped. Um, now, for saying that, for every, we've been fortunate enough, but for every player you bring through, there's always one that doesn't make it. And, you know, it's it's making sure that they're still involved in football, as you said, Breffney, with, with the inclusion of the Junior League. Um, that's really important as well. And we've had players go back to South of Devon and Galway and, they might go to Carb Rangers and they might go to more or anything like that, you know. And that's really important as well that you, you try and help instill the love of football with them. But, you know, we do take tremendous pride in, as a staff and as a group. And, 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 and um, Gabriel Darcy's been with me from day one, really. Um, and we, 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 we just take tremendous pride in that these ladies are still uh, playing high level Women's National League. And, you know, we even have like. Tier Shahidi's playing with Sion Swifts this year and Hannah Walsh and Avian Donnelly are playing for Cork City and uh, it's well noted that the ladies, the amount of ladies that have moved from underage set up Tatalone as well and and obviously the ladies now that have come with us to go United, it's it, it's good because it just I suppose bring a sense that, you know, well maybe maybe we, we actually did help, I suppose. Got a follow up on that, just a quick one on that. What will it be like? Because there's no doubt there's many of them players who have the potential to want to play senior football for Ireland. What will it be like when the first one makes a debut for you? Yeah. Um, hopefully I'll take a night off training so I can go and watch this. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the first thing. Um, ah, look, they're coming. They're coming. But again, they just need to be given the chance. Like uh, The kids we we have are incredible. And I say kids, and then we, we have our captain, Lindsay McKee, who's exceptional. I could spend... Another hour talking to you about her, you know. Um, we, we, we just have such a good group and it's limitless, really, the potential that they have. Like, you know, some, some of the ladies hadn't played really um, in, in the positions they're playing in, but also hadn't really played. They played maybe less than 100 minutes in the league or 200 minutes. And, and for example, Eve Dawson there is on the cover art, I think, of the League of Ireland piece. And she'd only played a small bit. And, and, and to be fair to Alan, he, he brought her in last year and, and slowly started to drip feed her in. But um, she's just an example of a young kid that's been ex- exceptional for us. And, and honestly, like we're, we're that second youngest or third youngest in the league now, I think. And um, there, there's so many of them. And there's, I'll be really frank in that there's so many of them we still haven't even got onto the pitch yet. And they're so exciting. Like, so exciting. You mentioned Lindsay McKee. I saw a good interview with her post-match the other day. Um, a couple of videos circulating on, online from uh, post-match the other day, but the one I saw uh, of Lindsay, um, she speaks with such passion about the club and about um, the whole, I suppose, genre of women's football in, in Galway and in the surrounding counties. Of course, she's from Clare, I believe, herself. Uh, and um, she's obviously played with Cork, she's played with Limerick, and now she's been in Galway for the last number of seasons with both clubs. Uh, but just the the feeling that you get that this means something nearly more to her than the younger girls who kind of think this might come along every year. She's been there. She's been that soldier for so long. And now she's getting that little bit of a reward to play in a cup final for Galway United. It's 
it's it was lovely watching the video and seeing that kind of almost relief as well as the joy coming out. Yeah, like, um, I just I, I think it's testament. Like, I was absolutely fine when we won the game. Little shout, yeah, whatever, you know. And uh, then I saw how much it went to Lindsay, and I was gone. I was mush. She's <laughs> um, incredible. I, I can't praise her enough. There's a reason she's our captain. He has given so much of her life. And I'm saying, you know, I've given six or seven years. She's given double that. Um, Treble it, maybe? To this league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, to this league and, and really deserves the kudos because, you know, it's not easy traveling you know, however many nights a week up and down for, for a long amount of time and continue to have that spark and uh, that leadership quality that, that she's really grown into this year. Um She's such an amazing person and it's great for her to be given the opportunity and to earn the opportunity, should I say, not given anything, earn the opportunity to go and, and play in the first ever cup final for Go United. And hopefully her name will be the first one of the first ever few on the cup. Speaking of uh, Go United and Galway Cup, it, sponsored by a Galway company as well, which is kind of nice avenue based over there in uh, in the tri- city of the tribes. Um Nice to kind of have that kind of co- be in that position with a Galway sponsor, Galway named Cup, uh, and now Galway United in their first uh, women's cup in their first season. It's it's got a nice ring to it. Is there an air of uh, kind of absolute expectancy now that you're going to go and, and beat Cliftonville in the final, or, or how are you approaching the game? Oh, yeah, you're setting us up for failure there straight away. Thanks a million. No problem. Um, <laughs> no, look, look, I'll, I'll be really clear on that. Um, we're in the mindset that this is another game and it's another opportunity for us to play. And that's where we are. And whatever happens, happens. And, and, and at the end of the day, we've still made history by getting this far. Um, I think the last senior silverware, I may be wrong, but the last senior silverware to come to Galway United was 1991. Um, I think it was a Johnny Glynn goal in Lansdowne Road, maybe. I remember, um, remember it well, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to say I did, but I was born in '93. Sorry, Breffney. I was but, uh, just old enough, just old enough to remember. That's all I'm saying. What? what sorry, what month in '91 was it? It was May, and it was a, a cross. So, I wasn't, so I wasn't even born myself. No, no, May. <laughs> but but uh, listen, like like, and and Johnny does tremendous work here. But but the people that played in that team are are so widely respected around Galway, and rightly so. And uh, you know, there's been other flurries with league cups and and and, and promotions, etc. And, and, you know, our, our men's team are on course to, to do their job this year and get promoted. Um, so I think there's there's a great there's a great buzz around it, but but we also have to be really, really clear. And, and it's the way we've approached all games this season. It's how we play and it's our style of football. And that will dictate whatever happens. Because at least we can come off and I suppose you don't leave it to the judges then. You go in and you do your best and uh, you, you see what comes out the other end of it. I have to say, they did win the Women's Cup. We mentioned earlier in the interview, so that was Apologies. a senior Apologies. trophy. And I better Apologies. mention, I better mention Kalga as well, who won an under sixteen title uh, against a certain Katie McCabe uh, back in Terryland Park back in twenty ten as well. I happen to know that because I was in the dugout. Uh, unfortunately for me, not the vi- victorious one on the day, but that is uh, how it works sometimes. Uh, but Kalga beat a Katie McCabe inspired um, St Francis side back in twenty ten. I don't even if you knew that. Can I? Can I, I actually do remember that, yeah. But can I just jump in there and I, and I will be in big trouble if I don't say Teresa Keane or, or Teresa Fahey, uh, she's she's our, our main, one of our main coaches and she's she's she was part of that 2017 
uh, I remember it because I was looking on Sports File two nights ago, uh, <laughs> looking at it. Yeah, look, I, I just meant from a, a Galway United's perspective, obviously it's something unique, but we have to respect, obviously, the people that have gone before us. And again, Neil Fahey was in that team, Julianne Russell was in that team, Emer Flatley was in that team, uh, Cara Mullins, Tessa's older sister, who used to play for Galway WFC as well. They're in that team, so it's... Uh, I think Noel Murray played in the opposition. I think it was Rahini, actually. They, they bet 1-0. It was Rahini, yeah. 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 A few of them. I'd seen Eve Reed Burke would have been on that team as well. There's a, there's a load of players still involved in the league who would have been involved in that. Um, it was a good time for the for the game. And for the West Mayo, who won the Cup the year before, I was on the losing side in that team, game too. <laughs> so does so a, a trend. Hopefully you don't, a bit hopefully of a trend there, Brian Fiedner. Yeah, it is. Big time. It was was 15 years ago, was it? Pardon? <laughs> You said you stopped coaching 15 years ago. Uh, no, no, 15, <laughs> 10, 10 years ago. Uh, but, I just need to go back to Lindsay McKee because I can't, no. For me, I have her in the top 10 players to grace this league. Um, I don't think she gets the accolades, the respect she deserves. People talk about it. Like if, if, even if you talk about her when, when she does something, even the people up in Dublin, which doesn't happen very often, they'll all just stand and admire Lindsay. And it's funny because you watch her and you know you it's it's mad. Like I've been there to see some of the some of the ridiculous things she's done on the pitch, and you you're just watching in awe. And like it's mad because for someone like that to still want and have the commitment to sort of want to push Galway further and further and further. Like even I can't remember what game it was. Andy took a photo of her. I think it was the Shells. It was the Shells game. I wasn't there. Andy took a photo of her at the Shells game. And she's in the huddle. And you can just see the passion post-game. They beat Charles and Talca Park. And you just see the passion. It's a league game. They beat Charles in the league. They, you know, they've got results against Charles in the league before. But you can just see the passion that day. And it's sort of, to me, it epitomizes what's right with Galway at the minute. And I think, Phil, you say, you know, you didn't really set She set you off the weekend. But, like, even when you see from the likes of yourself, when you watch the content that's put on Galway socials, you just see how much it means to everybody who's actually there. I think that's the most important thing at the minute when you look at it's all showing how much playing for Galway means and how much they want to do it for each other. Like I was there when Galway, when the Galway WFC got to the Shield final and came up short against against uh, UCD Waves. But like you look at it and you look at the evolution there. Like I know I'm going to eat humble pie here when I said that Galway would have a poor season this year because we didn't know what to expect. But like... <laughs> The funny thing is, it's it's just gone from you went on a bit of a run, you had a bit of a slump, then all of a sudden this competition, we sort of said it could work out really in Galway's favour. And it's amazing to see how much your players have sort of taken to this as the idea of a new competition. And I think it's it's a testament to the, to the coaching staff as well for the fact of, because it's an easy one for players to switch off and be like, I'm, got, I'm in holiday mode, I'm a long break after. Like, you how have you managed to keep them focused for this competition? The three losses hurt. They really hurt. Um, it's it's no excuse, but in terms of squad depth, uh, the leaving cert was coming up. There was players that were that were unavailable, injuries, etc. Uh, and I don't think we were disgraced in any of the three games we lost, but it really hurt because we moved away from the process and what we wanted to achieve. Um, so then... We obviously went to Sligo and played Sligo Rovers and came out of the showgrounds with a win. And I think just to get that and get the clean sheet set us in a really good frame of mind to be focused for this competition. 
And again, it comes back to treating every competition with respect. It's about us in Goal United. And it's about what we do. And it's about how we do it. And that's credit against the people and the quality of people that we've brought in. The staff, I, I really, really don't believe there's harder working staff in the league. Um, we train three nights a week. We've done over 285 contact hours this year since the 7th of January, if you exclude uh, travel. Just genuinely being there with the players. And that's 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 it, really. And, and we empower people's voices and we empower the players' voices and we want their feedback and we want... It's about them. It, it is really about them. And, and once I think the players realised that it wasn't just a cliche, that it was actually about them, well, then I think now they've they've taken over. They've taken over. All our job is to do is support them now um, and, and continue to challenge them. But they're, they're incredible. They're exceptional, exceptional people. Um, the, the quality that we brought in from outside. Um, I remember you saying, to be fair, in the off-season when we signed Gemma McGuinness, um, you know, the impact that she's had has been incredible. Ultimate professional, uh, looks after herself incredibly well as an athlete. Um, you know, and, and that's just picking on Gemma, for example. We've, we've signed really well. Uh, obviously, Jamie Erickson came back in. Uh, Izzy Belichich is, is incredible. Jess Berlin is incredible. And they've added to the incredible group that we've had a lot of them from underage, you know. Um, and they understand how we want to play football. Those kids had that from the age of 14, 15, 16. They understand how to play and problem solve. And um, and we've added good players in, in that regard as well. But when I when I say when I say it's down to leaders, um, Lindsay obviously is our captain and, and Trey's and Jenna are co-captains. And uh, I think you know from, from, from Jenna at the weekend uh, in terms of she, she's passionate. Uh, Lindsay's obviously passionate. And Trey's wears her heart in her sleeve. Yeah. Trey's will do anything for Rose. She's an incredible, incredible, incredible person. For anyone who's been living under a rock, go check out my, uh, Go United socials uh, from last weekend. There's an interesting video, post-match huddle. Um, language needs to be uh, maybe not safe for work if you've got speakers. But other than that, the passion comes through and it's absolutely a uh, fantastic look inside what it is to win a, 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 at this level. Another player who's joined you this year, you haven't mentioned her yet, um, she just came in recently in the transfer window, is the return of Ashling Meany, of course, uh, just back from the States uh, on a on a Masters scholarship over there uh, to do, or, uh, obviously to play another year of football, but also to, to for her studies. And we saw what she was capable of in, in a mediocre to poor treaty team last year in terms of the impact she made down there uh, coming into a team that's brimming with confidence I'd expect her to be a huge weapon that you'd have this year going forward to kind of uh, open teams up and maybe be a bit that kind of creative player in the middle of the field as well or up front Yeah look Ash, play, Ash played really well on, on Saturday first of all uh, played really really well um, and I think that's again testament is, is our strength and depth Ash has come in she's trained for the last six weeks because of the change status of the league, we had to wait until the 1st of July to sign her. Um, so then th th there was no, I suppose, misgivings in that she came in and played because she's been training for six weeks. She's been training as hard as anybody else. Um, offers that extra bit of quality in terms of we've so many, so many forwards now. Uh, and I think you would have seen it. I, I don't think we've named the same 11 consistently in, a, in any game uh, because we like to rotate and give people chances and give people opportunities and... Um, she definitely adds to us. She definitely adds to us. We've one or two up her sleeve as well for this window as well that I can't reveal yet. But, um, no? Which? Can you not give us an exclusive, no? <laughs> <laughs> Can we guess? Um, I, I think I think I'll uh, 
you'll I, be shot. You'll be shot if you get the club and we have with her Mike Mike caused me a few problems, but um yeah, we've we've a couple that are coming in, but like our, our squad is so big and it's so um challenging. Again, there are players each week that don't make our twenty that genuinely don't 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 travel or and they could be players that have played underage international or they could be players that have won the National League underage. Um is that a difficult situation to, to deal with as a manager, particularly as a, a first-time senior manager um, with the, I suppose, the politics and and the, the upset when that sort of stuff happens? It's tough enough to deal with that. Yeah, it's the worst part of my job, honestly. It's, it's the worst part of my job. Um, it's it's the hardest part, and, and picking the team as well is incredibly difficult. I mean, really, really difficult this year, each week. It's the hardest part, um, but I suppose it's it's it's... It's why I'm in the role and, and speaking to players and, and saying, look, you know, this is why this decision has been made or, you know, we, we do have an open door policy on Monday. You can come and talk. If there's anything affecting you or any issues, come and talk to us on Monday. Um, but it, it, it's, it's the hardest part. It's the hardest part. It takes me a day. We, we, we do it on Thursday night. We, we name our team, we name our, our, our squad then on the Friday. But it t- honestly takes me a day where I have to go and kind of just chill out and, and wind down and... Uh, because it, because it is difficult because some of the some of these people that you aren't bringing might be the kids that you brought into the National League football of fourteen, um, and that's the real difficult part because our success underage was based on something similar and that we were all together, we're a family, we're all you know our cultural values were quite strong and we played a certain way, but um, those are the difficult decisions. Say, eh? talk to us about like your process in making them sort of decisions because. It's a difficult one in the sense the balance, how would you say, keeping people happy and maybe picking the best 20 or the best 11. How do you go about it like as a manager? As a manager? Because we, you often hear people sometimes say, oh, certain managers have their favourites, certain managers have the, the go-to players. When you've got com- competitiveness and, and things like that in your squad, how do you actually go about picking your 20? Your 20? Like, Would you have an idea early in the week and then, it may change a training or how like how long do you spend over deliberation with your coaches? I think the first thing is most people that say the managers have their favourites aren't the favourites of the manager. So I think that's the first thing to go to to, to caveat. But um yeah look we're we're constantly are saying there are favourites and not favourites. Yeah <laughs> there's no favourites here. There's no friends in football that's what I've I've heard as well. Um no look so the way we, we operate we we train Monday uh, and we reflect on the game, and this is as a staff then as well. Or we usually meet for about an hour after training and, and, and kind of debrief and see where we are, see where we're going. Tuesday then is our incredibly high intense session. So based on Monday and Tuesday, then you're saying, okay, who's going to stand up and be counted? Who's who wants to get in that team? Thursday we, we name the team before we go training. We do our analysis session, and then we train based on on, on the, the perceived eleven for for that weekend's game. But it's kind of a compound thing. And it kind of can't be a thing. If we're in five days a week or four days a week, uh, it'd be easier, I suppose, to chop and change bigger elements at times. But it, it's kind of compound and, and knowing when the players are at that right level to either put them in or take them out. And sometimes people might need to be taken out or put in, but it's a, it's a constant process of feedback and collaboration between myself and all the coaches and the physio staff uh, and in terms of S&C as well. So, um it's a difficult process. There's no quick and easy answer, and I apologise, but it's uh, it's uh, it's constantly on our mind. And and say for example now, like 
it, it it's it, we might be thinking sometimes a week in ahead if someone has a work commitment or holidays etc like that you might be thinking a week or two weeks in ahead uh based on decisions and, and understanding where where your decisions might lead you yeah, no, it's exciting times. We actually have got the whole way into the show without really talking to you about the final itself and, and the game at the weekend. We're only 40 minutes into the interview for a 15-minute interview. is not too bad. Um, but it's just been really interesting kind of getting to this opportunity with, with things a bit more relaxed. No games this weekend. I know the World Cup is coming up, but it's just a chance to actually sit down with, with someone so close to, I suppose, the, one of the teams in the league and, and in such a position to, to get, kind of pick inside your brain a little bit. Um, talk to us about the actual final itself. Of course, we know the, de- the facts. It's in the showground. Sunday afternoon uh, in 10 days um, we're playing Clifton where you're playing Cliftonville um, <laughs> you know where we man Brefney eh? well no it's it's North versus South now at this stage it's uh, it's like the whole civil war is going to be built up again no but seriously it's LOI versus Niffle <laughs> what was that? LOI versus Niffle NIFL <laughs> yeah exactly um, so it is there is an element of that and don't for one second think that the FAI and the IFA when they put these competitions together don't dream of these scenarios where both teams are represented in the final because there'd be nothing worse for either side like if it was Cliftonville and Linfield in Belfast there'd be no interest in the in the in the 26 counties and if there was if it was two LOI teams nobody in the north would care either so it really is the dream kind of final for everybody involved in the competition really and with Galway involved for the sponsors it's probably an even nicer sweet sweetener at the end of the a, a pie for them as well yeah, look, I, I think it's 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 a really good chance um, to the litmus test, I suppose, in teams playing both, uh, say for ourselves, playing Linfield is a really good new opportunity um, and to see exactly where we match and, and compare in terms of the leagues. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's going to be really exciting now to see two of, I know Glen Torn are doing quite well in, in terms of where they are in their table, but... Um, you know, ourselves in Cliftonville will be evenly matched now. I mean, I'm expecting a really good game. Um, they've come through, like, they, they bet Bowes um, and they bet uh, Sion Swifts and, and they obviously drew them with Sligo as well. But, um, you know, like, Bowes at that stage, like, Bowes are flying there for, and they are still ahead of us on the table, you know. So, um, I think it is really set up to be a really interesting encounter. They've scored in every game they've come into uh, Cliftonville. You know, um, and bar last weekend, we hadn't conceded in every game. Um, so it, it, it's going to be a really even, evenly contested game. Um, and, and I'm just expecting, I, I'm hoping for a really good crowd, um, a good crowd of people to come in from all around uh, the West of Ireland as well, you know. So if we can, if we can get more of, you, more of you people saying we, you know, that'd be really good. Point in slip, Phil. Now I've just realised... You're gonna be away. Think, I don't even think I'll get to watch this game. Oh, that's... I literally, I literally. Oh, why is that, Aaron? Tell us, tell us why that is. Where are you going to be, Aaron? <laughs> I literally no. fly. I literally fly to Perth. I literally land in Perth. I think twenty minutes into the game. Perth, Scotland, is it? Perth, Scotland. Aaron's going to the World Cup, Phil. No, I, I actually got a question on this though. Um, oh. On the game itself being on a Sunday. Phil, how does it change everything? How does it change preparation? Because I don't think you've played, you probably haven't played a game on a Sunday and just reflect, just reflection from my side on the, on the Bowes game against Cliftonville, I actually went to see the game and Bowes were brilliant in the first, first half. Should have been three or four and it up. Cliftonville soaked up an awful lot of it. But like, 
just watching Cliftonville in the second half, there was only ever going to be one winner in the game. And like, as you say, balls were going great. I think two sides come into this game on absolute massive form as well. Yeah, I, de- I definitely think both of us are coming in on decent form. And Bar, if we had kept a clean sheet last week, we would have actually, Piemont, I think, have four consecutive clean sheets this season, if you include the cup. Uh, and we've we had four consecutive clean sheets as well, and we were looking to get a fifth as well, and that would have been testament to where um, the quality we are. Do you know? Um, I, I just think it's it's really set up well because to some extent it's an unknown for both teams. Um, you know, it'd be difficult as you said. You know, two two familiar teams playing each other. It could be it could be a bit of a stalemate. It could be a bit standoffish. But I actually think both teams are just going to go for it. Uh, we're definitely not going to sit off anybody. We have we haven't all year, um, and I, I think it definitely it's going to bode for a good final, a really interesting final, and a really good opportunity uh, for us to again sh- show where we are. Uh, playing on a Sunday doesn't really change things. Um, we'll still continue with our normal training week, uh, and there's still <laughs> players are still back in the Tuesday after the Sunday. Uh, we're still training for another week because this is part of our journey. This, this, where whilst it is a cup final and we want people to attend, we're seeing this as another game and another opportunity to play football. A lot of teams approach this as an opportunity to, to blood new players and and uh, see what the, the the rest of the squad was like that maybe they hadn't had the opportunity to, to play in the in the regular league. Uh, what's your mindset going into this? Is it still a little bit of that, or is it our strongest team going to play? We're going to win this competition. What's your kind of mindset going into the game? Um. I, I think in terms of competition, and this is just where our, our mindset is, it's every game we play, regardless of the champ competition, it's about getting to play for Galway United. And that's kind of where we've been the whole way throughout the year. And we treat the FAI Cup with the same level as well, is that if you're training really well, you get the opportunity to play. Um, and that's, I, I, I may be completely wrong in, in, in doing that or right, I don't know, but that's the way we've kind of came at it as a club Um and again, there, there will be opportunities further down the season for players to play, but you can't just hand them out. They have to really earn them. And uh, I think that, that that is testament to where we've been. Uh, our, our biggest loss of the season was by two goals to, to Shells, I think, and uh, to Pease. So we've been in every game because the players that step out onto that pitch at that moment in time are the ones we feel that need to play. Yeah, listen, we're, we're going to have to let you go because we literally ran out of time about 20 minutes ago, Phil. I think you've broken all records for the longest interview we've had on the show, but I really enjoyed chatting to you and kind of going deep into everything that's going on in, in Galway United over the last um, eight to nine months, effectively, but really over the last decade or so uh, as the, the growth of women's football in, in the region has, has kind of come to fruition now as one unified club. And it's really good to see all the positives that are coming out of Galway. I think... Um, I think everybody in the country would probably agree that they're probably delighted once their team aren't in the final that it's Galway that's representing the the LOI. I think it's great to see kind of that kind of um, the, the the forward steps you've made both at universities level and uh, with Billy and, and what's going on and or I'm going to say NUI Galway, but uh, that's a couple of generations ago now. But it's um, it's not UCG either. It's uh, what is it? AT? No, it's, I can't even remember. 
U of G, of course. Um, so it's uh, the change every week. It's hard to keep track of all of these things. Uh, but to see the progress that's been made and with two Goa girls at the World Cup as well as part of that 23, and I think it's really positive times. And win, lose, or draw, I think it's been a, a good season so far. I think we're going to see some surprises from you before the end of the year. Could you end up with two cups? Maybe. Could there be a league title challenge in there? Maybe it's a little bit late. It's a bit of a short season, but uh, it's been really, really good. And I think it, the expectation at the start of the season, you've surpassed all of that. Um, so congratulations to everything you've achieved so far best luck in the final on Sunday week and uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting to you again soon thanks Jens thank you very much very kind thank you Phil Trill there um, I'm, I'm tired after that Aaron my, my brain hurts but... I, can't be- I can't believe you left Phil Trill on this podcast for 15 minutes and I'm not going to lie to you I'm a little bit disappointed that you actually said ended it. We're, we're ended it because I was yeah. actually re- I was actually really enjoying you know because it's it's not often we get the opportunity where we can we can spend a, a, quite a long time with a with a manager or with a with a player or with somebody and you just listen to him and you're sort of fascinated like there's no doubt when he took that Galway job this year that there was so much pressure on him because of the names you mentioned or because of other names he didn't get the job and coming in haven't had a bit of success underage like. Galway haven't had any success at senior level in the Women's National League. So for him, there was always going to be pressure there and to make the start they make. And like when you listen to him talk about the three defeats hurt, his passion, it oozes Galway, you know, it it oozes Galway football. And like we sort of said, I think you, I think you were, you were, you were saying that before the Avenir Cup started, that you were, the likes of Galway, you were, you were thinking could do well in this competition. And like Dublin came away from winning a, winning a, a first senior trophy in, since the Women's National League started. Yes, although the Galway teams have won FAI Cups previously, and like yes, it's a it's a cross border competition. That's a sort of a stopgap between the the season. But the first comp the first one is always the hur- the, hur- the biggest hurdle to get over. Like we've seen with Athlone winning the President's Cup after losing the Cup final last year. It's always the first one is the hardest. And this, the squad he's got there, it'd be massive for him. Yeah, I do think the Avenir Cup has been a huge positive to everything uh, LOI women this year. I think it's just I've been loved it. really positive. The only change I would make, if anyone from the League, uh, League of Ireland does listen to this podcast, and we kind of believe they do, um, the I would take the week that we've lost now effectively with the gap week this weekend, I'd fill that. I'd add in quarterfinals. I think if you take two teams out of each group, it just makes that competition almost perfect. I think it's a really nice thing. I'd also, if possible, maybe add in... Um, the, the remaining teams from the north although That's, for me for me for me it has to, if this competition has to go on unless we segregate the national league and have less teams from the national league in we have to have every team for both competition and we can't have half of one and what i would do briefly to, to sort of even to make it even easier is if you even if you went to if it's tw- if we only have 11 teams in the national league next year again you go seven you go seven groups of three you play you play two games then you you look at even if even then you could go into a last sixteen or you could go into straight into a, a quarter final with the seven group winners and the best runner up, best one runner up. And but like I think there's so much potential, there's so many avenues, there's so many different because we we know for a fact next year there's no way this competition is played the way it's played. It'll probably be spread out a lot more, which which will have a lot of benefits as well. Like the the best part is is that I had a lot of concerns about the Northern Irish League this year. Would they hold up? Would they? Because that when when sides are played in Champions League or they played in friendlies, the results have tended to be sort of a, a bit landslidey towards the National League sides. And to be honest with you, they've been brilliant. They've been so much value to the competition. I really enjoyed watching Cliftonville against Bowes. Really enjoyed watching Linfield against 
against Shells as well. I thought he put up an absolute superb performance with a young side. And that's the benefits is that we, we see the cross-border opportunities. Yes, people talk about an all-island league in, in the men's side of things. It may happen down the years. It may happen in the women's side as well. And these are these are the conversations that were, that can be had because we've had these cross-border opportunities and we can see in the reflection. But it's been great. And I'm really hoping that the final gets a massive crowd. I'm really hoping that the final lives up to what it, what what the billing is what the billing could be because it's it's been great and as much as on the other side of the world I'm a little bit jealous that if it was in Ireland I'd be heading to Sligo that day there's no doubt about it yeah definitely be in Sligo for the game but uh, funny you mentioned Shells and Linfield uh, you weren't the only person of note at that game I don't know if you've caught the uh, the documentary or I, I don't even know if I could call it a documentary but the the piece on the RT player uh, around the pre- uh, preparation for the league they've picked two influencers uh, Charlene and Ellie I believe are their names I understand anybody under the age of 23 or 24 will know exactly who they are they were fresh faces to me although I do understand there is a, a definite league of ireland connection with at least one of them it's um it's i did see the cameras in talca park that day I did see the if you're in the into the league it's a tough watch i think it, they've the the league have uh, it's it's an influencer friendly show that's i'll put it like that if you're but you know what you know, but you know what Brefney? you may say it's a tough watch because it's not something that you're into or i'm into but the thing is it'll bring new eyeballs that's 100%. the thing. And, and bring new eyeballs for the people who are in. Like I know they were at the pre-match press conference for the Zambia game as well, and they asked Chloe Mustaki a question as well, as far as more. But like this is our thing, and the thing is, well, at the, is the best part of it. To be honest, the question they asked was actually probably the best part of it. I I just found it very inauthentic, and I'm not a big fan of of inauthentic, unfortunately. But um, it will bring in eyeballs. It'll bring in their audience, uh, the that kind of young female audience, and that can't be a bad thing. Um, but it, it, I'm not the target demographic. Fair enough. Do you know what I mean? But I just it's a it's a tough watch. If you're not in that target demographic, it's a tough watch. Um, but it is it is what it is. Ugh. I'm trying not to get myself in, in too much trouble or get too much hate uh, online when I when I say that. Listen, but do you know what? If they give you the hate, if they give it to you, you deserve it. <laughs> no, I, I, I probably do deserve it, but it is what it is. In terms of, I I just feel um the league is. Is beginning to stand on its own two feet. It's now a professional league. There's big investment going in in certain clubs. There's a lot of time and effort from volunteers and players and, and parents to make sure that these league games go ahead. There's, the crowds are beginning to grow. It's beginning to get that bit more credibility. With two players from the league going to the World Cup, we could argue that there's five or six more. There was a photo of 12. Well, there's a photo of 12 players, um, including Jamie Finn, so 11, but then you could also throw in a couple of others who aren't in that photograph. Uh, funny to hear Phil talk about Galway United jerseys uh, being given to the two Galway girls. They weren't wearing them in that photo. One of them See, wasn't the even problem, in the photo. The thing is that they weren't. They didn't play Obviously. for the clubs anywhere. They all play for the I, clubs. I get it. I get it. I get it. But it's just for well, me, they're the role models we should be putting forward. But, but the difference is, Brefney, I'm gonna. I'll play a bit of devil's advocate here, and I'll be younger sister. I'm gonna round. No, who TikTok and all that is is the big thing these days, and like these sort of influencers have massive, massive, massive reach and following and like I think there's so much that the League of Ireland have done great things the FAI have done brilliant things with the league but the problem is is we need more stakeholders for me we need more stakeholders we need and not even just from people like influencers and things like that from government we need so much more to help us drive to the next phase and like I really think that yeah if they bring a couple of extra eyeballs I think it's great and you know what I, I may not like it I may not like it when I watch it but you know what I'll appreciate the fact that it gives more support, more coverage to more coverage to the league. And I think we'd, we'd probably be a little bit remiss if we didn't also mention the fact that um, 
RTE announced that Ross Whitaker is going to have a documentary on the Irish women's team the day before the first game of the World Cup on on the whole build-up and how they qualified and stuff like this. There'll be interviews from Vera, Katie and some of the squad. And if anybody's seen Ross Whitaker's work, he done the, the Katie Taylor documentary, done the one on, on Rachel Blackmore as well. Absolutely superb director. And like the, the, the great thing is we're talking about things being done, Breffney, now. We're not talking about a couple of years ago. Things were never being done. That's the best part of it. I, I think we're on the same side of the argument. I can't yeah. wait for that Ross Whitaker um, documentary. Uh, I just think, and to go back to the point of the platform that the, the two girls, I'm not. it's not a criticism of them at all. They, they do what they do. Best look to them. Don't begrudge anybody anything, any bit of fame or any bit of uh, work they can get for a play to you. But it's we have... 11 teams of our own with 15 to 20 to 25 players in these squads. There's at least half a dozen phenomenal stories in every single one of those dressing rooms. We've got 50 or 60 girls around the league who could very easily have fronted that kind of a program. Those people have that voice and that platform because they get opportunities like this. Give it to the girls in the league is all I'm trying to say. Uh, on that, we'll probably wrap it up before we have a row. Uh, but listen, just want to thank so much, uh, Phil Trill, for joining us. Uh, he was so generous with his time and uh, so honest and, and authentic with his answers. And it's great to kind of see uh, what goes into the mindset of a, a coach in the league. I know we have a lot of them on from time to time, but sometimes we're just there's so much happening around a, a given game week that we just don't have the time to go into a deep depth. We hadn't actually uh, prepped that with Phil. I think we were probably expecting, but all both sides were expecting about 15 minutes and ended up being closer to 40 five minutes uh, we do appreciate him giving him giving up his time like that um i had a whole lot of stuff planned in terms of going through the world cup squad again we've done it before we're not going to do it again the fixture is the only fixture that matters for the next two weeks outside of the world cup which you're going to be so sick of which is phenomenal uh, is of course that avenir sports cup final uh, that game fixed today at four next sunday week the uh, 23rd of july at 3 p.m in uh, the showgrounds in Sligo. I can't wait. It's right in my doorstep. So I'm looking forward to that game. It's going to be an absolute cracker. Do make an effort. If there's a, a young football mad girl in your life and she enjoys the Australia game when she watches it, why not make a little bit of a road trip down to Sligo and watch uh, a cup final here on our own doorstep with some phenomenal players involved as well. And of course, you'll get to chat to Phil uh, afterwards. If you hang around, he might even sign a, an autograph or two with, along with the girls. I'm not sure if that's his thing, but uh, we might have to get him back to see if if, uh, if he does uh, uh, that sort of stuff post-game. I know the players are, are very uh, fond of doing it. But Aaron, uh, next time we talk to you, you're probably going to be on the other side of the planet. Uh, we do have a, a program lined out for through the World Cup to try and cover the Ireland team in detail. We'll we'll have shows regularly through the... Uh, well, not regularly. They're going to be a bit ad hoc around fixtures and around your travel plans and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we will be on f- much more often than we have been. So it won't be weekly, maybe twice or three times a week over the next three to four weeks. So it's uh, exciting times for you, exciting times for the show, and exciting times for the game in the country as well, Aaron. Absolutely, can't wait. Uh, start with a big couple of weeks, and you know, the buzz, the buzz has started. You're seeing the people already starting to make the travels over. Steam fans starting to go already. A little bit envious of the ones who have gone already. I'm not going to lie, but looking forward to heading out Sunday. Not as much as you're at least getting to go. Uh, we're not going at all. <laughs> all right, on that note, uh, we're going to leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, you can, of course, listen back to the show on uh, all the usual spot, uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, but also on our YouTube channels at Final Whistle. You'll get all of us uh, at the WNL show for Aaron for all his stuff through the World Cup as well. He's going to be there. He's going to be reporting back for us as well as his own platform. Uh, we will chat to you uh, from the other side of the world in a couple of days, Aaron.